all the studies on sleep will say you're more likely to have dementia, you're more likely to have cancer, you know, you're more likely oh. to have chronic illness if you don't have good sleep. Welcome to the Dr. Gill Show. This is the show where we talk about medical matters that matter to you. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Wilson. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Elizabeth is a board-certified OBGYN doctor in private practice. She has an incredible reputation here in town. And in fact, a lot of my nurses, I believe, go to you for medical care. So you can't get a better endorsement than that. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, now Elizabeth um, obviously delivers a lot of babies. She sees a lot of women after they've delivered babies and they're getting on maybe in the, the next phase of their life and is growing uh, quite a practice uh, dealing with menopause, hormone replacement, metabolic health, and health optimization in women uh, perhaps when they're getting a little older. That's probably when women become more interested in what they can do. Yeah, yeah. Things don't work like you have to pay a little attention to things. Exactly. You know? This doesn't mm -hmm. happen. Elizabeth and I also uh, had a uh, departed colleague, Dr. William Trumbauer. Bill was a, a great uh, advocate of, of health, and he, he came at metabolism and thyroid uh, from a, a really unique and uh, wonderful angle. He was a mentor to both of us, and I can still feel Bill's spirit here, Elizabeth. I bet he is. Yeah, it's a lot to him. I get a little, mm -hmm. a little teary eyes because he, he meant uh, a lot to us. So, Elizabeth, today I'd like to explore hormone replacement therapy in women, but put it in the broad context of health, metabolism, menopause transition, and explore this a little more. Now, as a reproductive endocrinologist, I'm supposed to be an expert in menopause. And on a test, I, I still am. I, know, I can tell you doses and metabolic pathways and all that stuff. But as a very busy fertility doctor, I've had to focus my practice on just infertility the past few years. I'm doing virtually no menopause work. Um, things have been changing. Things have been evolving different medicines, different doses, different combinations and all this stuff, I am losing touch with. So I'm so, so very glad you're here because you're actually doing this type of work. Um, you know, and, and I think in the public, it's becoming much more, um, people are more interested. They're asking more questions. There's actually a lot of companies. There's, you know, People are, are definitely wanting more hormone replacement therapy, and we're starting to claw back from 20 years ago that study, the Women's Health Initiative, which kind of um, came out right as I was starting my practice. Like mm. I, I kind of went through residency being trained that hormones are good, hormones prevent disease, and we've got this study that's ongoing, and it's going to show us all these good things that we've been observing over the years. Yeah. And then... Truly, the, they stopped the study early, and, um, and that was a big public brouhaha. And yeah, it, it that's scared, a good word for it. It scared women, but it, it actually it scared doctors. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it's kind of taken this long to really tease out a lot of the, 
the details that we need to know from that study. Yeah. Um, and I'd say as a young OBGYN, I was very fortunate to have been in Dr. Trumbauer's practice um, and actually was put in the same surgery day as him. So when we did ah. cases together, I would hear him talk and hear him talk. And he, he actually gave me two books early on. One was called Screaming to be Heard by Elizabeth Vliet. Oh. And that was just a book about bioidentical hormones. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and he would talk about the studies in Europe and that how hormones were potentially safer when they were given the right way and the right hormones were given. But this huge study just dominated everything, my colleagues, other doctors. And yeah. um, so, but um, there, there were still some women terribly symptomatic who needed hormones and, and I felt comfortable prescribing them, yeah. you know, because of the, um, the books I had from him. He also gave me a book called What Your Doctor Doesn't Tell You About Menopause ah. by a Dr. Lee. Okay. And mostly that kind of helped me understand perimenopause and kind of the interplay ah. of estrogen and progesterone um, and the term estrogen dominance, which mm. um, recently with my study in functional medicine, that's talked about a lot, but it, it wasn't anything in my training. So that kind of helps me for, for women that aren't quite menopausal, but they're having, you know, issues before menopause. Yeah, so let, let, let's, let's explain what that is. Menopause is defined as the time around the last menstrual period. And you really don't know it until it's in Until the, in a year past. has passed. Until a That's year has correct. passed. So now it's in the rearview mirror. Correct. But these hormone changes don't occur at a precise moment. The ovaries running out of eggs, getting fewer fewer eggs are coming up, and sometimes even more will come up. So it's not a the number uh, of ovulations; it's more the the number that are available. And one of my mentors, uh, Nanette Santoro, described it as when you pop popcorn. In the beginning, they're all popping really fast, and at the end, you get these little these little scragglers in at the, the end. Microwave. I've heard and, that too. Yeah, and those yeah. are the the teeth uh, breakers. Those are the ones that don't pop big. <laughs> they kind of pop a little bit. They're not the they're not the best kernels there. Mm -hmm. So there's this transition time before menopause, mm -hmm. poorly defined, and and you have to listen to a woman say, "Hey, things are changing." And it doesn't happen at a precise age. Every woman ages differently. Correct. Well, and actually that. Brings me to think about my very favorite chart, which I may bring please, out. That I, please, please, let's I keep see this it. in my office. Hold on here. Um, so I love charts. Right here, and um, this actually, I guess I should. Tara Scott is um, a very well or a very popular hormone expert. She studies a lot about um, breast cancer and you know the different kinds of estrogen and how they affect breast cancer, but I stole this from her because it's so helpful to explain to patients the estrogen dominance because I, I usually I cover the perimenopause and I explain that, you oh. know, when you're, when you're fertile, when you're having really regular periods, your ovaries produce these hormones sort of in this ratio, although within a cycle, obviously it's different. You have estrogen in the first phase, progesterone in the second phase. Right. When you go through menopause, they both go away completely. Uh-huh. But in between, the ovaries are getting tired, and this right. happens. <laughs> right, And so right. like you, you, you talked about increased estrogen, and then potentially you may not ovulate, so you won't get progesterone, or maybe the the luteal cells aren't as good at producing estrogen. And so this flip in estrogen and progesterone is um, what I think people refer to as estrogen dominance, or at least in the perimenopause phase. And, 
And, and it's funny because when I show people this crazy part of the graph, they go, oh, no wonder yeah. I feel so crazy. <laughs> That's why my life and, feels like this graph going up and down. And so they say with estrogen dominance, you tend to have breast tenderness, heavy periods. Mm. Um, and it, it, maybe the lack of progesterone could lead more to sleep disturbance, the heat that people feel at night, uh -huh. um, anxiety, because the progesterone kind of hits the GABA receptors in the brain. And I really, throughout my entire career, I've been shocked at how a little bit of natural progesterone can smooth out the things that, that women feel are related to this time. All right, so let me just back up a second and explain this. When a woman is young and menstruating normally and ovulating normally, the woman's gonna make estrogen for about two weeks of the month, and then after ovulation, she's gonna make a strong amount of, of high uh, amounts of the hormone progesterone, and they work back and forth. Now in the perimenopause, when these ovulations, when these little fizzly ovulations are occurring, they may make estrogen, but these progesterone spikes may not come up. They may not be very long. And like you described, it's just, it's just a, it's a bumpy road and the, this normal balance and these normal rhythms are lost. Yeah. Um, you know, and earlier in my career, I used to try to give progesterone as it would be in cycles, like during that luteal phase, you try to it to the so about two weeks a month yeah. after ovulation but but, but um, one of the conferences that I attended you know in the last several years a, a guy dr. Wilgers he practices at Worldlink Medical okay. but he he talked about how just listening to his patients they felt just much better taking the progesterone every day every day and and because it promotes sleep and who knows what's happening with their estrogen production i mean uh -huh. it's simpler for the patient and it so that's sort of a, a way my practice has evolved i mean you can always tailor it to an individual and what they need but um I, right. that may be a little nuance that you would appreciate no I no i, I like that now let, let, let's talk about these hormones a little bit so we have a, a strong foundation estrogen is a very very powerful molecule we measure it in the blood and we're called picograms, just mm -hmm. tiny, tiny amounts. And it's called estradiol, and there's a, a family of estrogen-like molecules. Estrogen comes from, like all steroids, comes from cholesterol, but it works mm -hmm. through this pathway, and progesterone's in there, and I, I won't get into all the details. Testosterone mm -hmm. is in the pathway. Mm -hmm. And then estrogen comes out at the very, very end, super, super powerful. And estrogen, because it's so powerful, you can take it by pill, you can take it by cream on the skin, you can take it vaginally, you can take it by injections, you can take it by patches. There's all these different ways of giving it. And then it gets really complicated when you're adding, well, not just estradiol, but some estrone and some estriol. These are molecules in the estrogen family. So it gets very, very complicated and, and nuanced. And then you have progesterone. It is made a thousandfold higher as far as actual mass goes because it's not a very powerful molecule. And because you need to give so much, it's hard to get it in. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get it in. I tell people, am I getting to, people ask me, are you getting too much progesterone? I say, are you drowning in it yet? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not drowning in it, you're probably not getting too much. Mm -hmm. And because progesterone, and we'll talk about the identity, because progesterone, you have to take so much. And if you take it by mouth, your liver chews it up. It's hard to get progesterone in the body, isn't it? 
Yes. Um, although, you know, there's sort of a general thinking that if, if you're needing it to prevent like estrogen's effect on the uterus, it's best to take it by mouth. That that's the only data we have oh. that oral progesterone, oral micronized progesterone is the one thing that will, I shouldn't say guarantee, but would prevent hyperplasia or cancer of the uterus because estrogen is, estrogen's really making that uterine lining grow, like estrogen dominance making heavy periods. So yeah. progesterone opposes that. Um, uh, so I, I'd say uh, oral is probably the preferred way. Now, it can make people tired and groggy. So, really? um, you know, giving it vaginally may be a second. I think that's a second preferred way. If for some reason, if people have side effects from the oral progesterone, uh -huh. they can actually use it vaginally, kind of like we do with recurrent miscarriage or preventing preterm labor. That's another thing Dr. Wilger said that was yeah. like, how many years have I practiced gynecology? Yeah. And I, he said, progesterone is pro-gestation, pro gestation oh. pro Just it right. and it, you know, and it and gestation meaning pregnancy. Yes, and so, yeah. you know, and early in my careers, there were women that wanted progesterone for recurrent pregnancy loss, and there was so much hesitance. Like, there's no data, there's no data, but I don't know. It's just kind of all come back around. Then there was a study that showed progesterone would prevent preterm delivery, and I feel like I saw that happen in in many cases. Although I know some of the studies and they have been just withdrew it. I mean, this Correct. week they just I, just withdrew it. You know, I could, I, I just, I feel like I've had cases where I feel like that's really made a difference from one pregnancy to the next. Um, yeah. and I have, I, I have one patient who had a classic cervical incompetence at 20 weeks. That means the cervix gets, gets soft and it expands and the and pregnancy the, is lost the, way, way too Way soon. before viability. And so then she had a cerclage with the next two pregnancies. That's a stitch around the cervix trying to hold it together. Yeah. And, and it was... You know, touch and go, touch and go, bed rest, bleeding, cramping, you know, treating contractions. Progesterone had come out by the time she was pregnant the fourth time. Wow. And she used it, and it was like a totally uncomplicated, like it literally, it was like a normal pregnancy. Her, it seemed and to make all the difference. It, right. And so, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's hard not to hold on to those things that you've seen. No. Yeah, yeah. Now, progesterone so. is very safe. Now, mm -hmm. you mentioned micronized progesterone. Because you have to take so much progesterone, if you take it by mouth, you can't just take a spoon of progesterone. It has to be divided up into tiny, tiny little particles in a special oily matrix that when you take it, it can actually absorb exactly. enough to get in the body. So that would be called a, a bioidentical because that's real progesterone. Mm -hmm. Now, because it's so hard, let me just put another finer point on this. Because it's so hard to get enough progesterone in the body, especially when there's a, a, a disease or a problem going on, that we usually, we will frequently resort to synthetic progesterone. It's called progestins. So when you see pills called uh, uh, Provera or Agestin or something like that, these are synthetic progesterones because if you want to take them by mouth to get good doses in the body and get through the liver, You have to take these synthetic progestins that are a lot more powerful, but they're not bioidentical. They're not what the body makes, are they? No. And, and you know, I feel like for years, the gurus in our society were really downplaying bioidenticals and right. kind of saying, you know, they're not safe because you're getting them from a compounding pharmacy or you know, just really acting like, you know, people were recommending something that was almost harmful. Right. 
and yet, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the progestins are good when you're needing really dramatic effects for right. fertility, and that's kind of short. We need a big lid. hammer, yeah. But like, one of the last things I think to come from looking back at the data of the Women's Health Initiative is, so like, obviously, one of the things that scared everybody, made everybody stop, and that, that's still, I think, in the medical community is the fear of breast cancer. Yeah, everyone. Okay. All and I've, I've spent so much time thinking, I have a diagram that I made to try and explain all of this to patients, but, right. um, you know, about, was it 2006 or five or six years after the first study came out, there was a little article that said, hey, you know, all those women that were on estrogen alone, the ones who'd had a hysterectomy, so they didn't need the progesterone opposition for the uterine lining, they weren't going to have periods, they weren't in danger of having hyperplasia or cancer. So all they took was Premarin alone. So that's a, a form of estrogen that's oral and it's not bioidentical. But that group of women had absolutely no increased risk of breast cancer. In fact, they had a lower risk of breast and cancer. And I, I believe it wasn't statistically significant, but there have been several other observational studies, whether it's bioidentical, or a lot of them are bioidentical, estrogen or estradiol or bias, the combination of E2 and E3. Right. Um, and, and and in women who take estrogen alone, there almost seems to be a protective effect. And, and that flies in the face of the fact that we treat breast cancer with an estrogen blocker. Right. And I feel like that's where my colleagues that are practicing in other fields are, are just like so scared of estrogen causing yeah. breast cancer. When I mean, it happens to be a breast cancer cell is actually a breast cell. So it's going to have an estrogen receptor. And, right. you know, maybe you can block it from growing once it's there. But if estrogen in your body is helping you sleep better, we know sleep, poor sleep leads to cancer. Right. If it makes your immune system better, your immune system can help take out cancer cells. It makes you metabolize your sugar better. You know, insulin and, and sugar cause cancer. It's right. like It's like estrogen is trying as hard as it can, I think, to help you from changing that cell into cancer. But once it's there, it could be a problem. You're making a very, very important point. Now, we're going to have uh, our local breast surgeon expert in Peterson in, in the coming they weeks. They probably all hate me. They, <laughs> they no, hate no, we have this, we have this fun banter. Uh -huh. She'll show me. And she actually brought me over a packet of, of literature. I was so grateful to her. What a great colleague. Showing, and, and they're very, you, have to, you have to pin them down. They're saying in women who are at high risk, who have high risk conditions, Maybe estrogen's a bad idea. I'm not sure. But we look at women from a much from enough different uh, population. And I, I want to back up real quick here. I'm going to put another, uh, say a couple more things about this Women's Health Initiative study that came out. When I was a fellow, I was uh, in Newark, New Jersey, which is an inner city hospital. But they have a much more diverse population. You've got older women, you've got minority women who aren't minority there. And, and a population is generally neglected. If you look at medicines over history, it's generally white men they take <laughs> that are tested. Even women's drugs, they tested on white, white men. So they were very excited to have New Jersey Medical School there in Newark as one of the test centers. They could get women from all these different uh, populations. And the results of the Women's Health Initiative were, it was very different, and that's something that you mentioned, it came out in the later years. You can't make blanket statements. Mm -hmm. A 70-year-old overweight woman who's been in menopause for 10 or 20 years is a very different woman 
the different risks from a woman who, let's say, is in the perimenopause and wants to take these hormones, right? Mm -hmm. A woman at normal risk for breast cancer, a very different woman from perhaps the woman with dense breasts and family history and all this kind of stuff. So the Women's Health Initiative it did not make broad brush statement, hormones are good, hormones are bad. You really need to drill down on, on the actual woman's profile, her needs, and in some women, estrogen, as, as you can attest, uh, very, very helpful. Well, and I think what made me start down this path was talking about the difference between bioidentical progesterone and progestins. Yeah. And that r really there's, be going back to the study about estrogen alone, mm -hmm. less breast cancer, they're starting to say, you know, it was possibly the Provera or the not the bioidentical progestins. It, right. so the synthetic for, progesterone may have been the culprit. Well, there's in a there's um, for, for part of uh, the course through the um, uh, American Association of Anti Aging Medicine. Okay. They do kind of a deep dive in studies of natural progesterone versus synthetic progesterone, and mm -hmm. literally in every cell or every part of the body that you look at where progesterone or progestins would do a bad thing, say vasoconstriction or maybe breast proliferation, natural mm. progesterone seems to do just the opposite. It yeah, seems you to be, can't lump them together, can you? Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I feel like it's creeping in back into like the regular literature that mm -hmm. it appears that that risk was due to the synthetic progestin and not natural progesterone, which right. I mean, 20 years later, <laughs> thank you very much. Right. But um, another very good book that I, um, I don't know that patients really read it, but so Jason Fung wrote The Cancer Code. Uh-huh. And, and that really helped me um, also realize that, I mean, you just, you can't blame cancer transformation on one thing. Right. And so he, he basically uh, kind of states that, man, we thought when we got the genomic code sequenced, we'd really know and understand cancer. But the <laughs> problem is, I mean, there, there are tons of genes for cancer out there. In fact, we're yeah. suppressing genes all the time. Right. And so what is it that makes a gene finally express itself? And, of course, he comes at it from, um, he's a nephrologist who worked with end-stage uh, renal, renal failure patients, you know, doing dialysis. And so huh? he, he talks about insulin and blood sugar and how that causes cells to grow and how um, cancer cells really prefer glucose. And I, you mm. think... There's that insulin receptor that, but no, nobody can create a drug to block the insulin receptor. You just tell people to eat less sugar. Nobody makes money on that. I think this is true with a lot of things, Elizabeth, when it comes to diet, sunlight. You have to look at overall mortality. You have to look at overall mortality. You can't look at a narrow endpoint. You got to look at the big picture mm -hmm. and make recommendations, especially in the in the public health arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and just. Sleep alone, I, I can't believe how, you know, much of a foundation for health and longevity and quality life that is. I mean, you know, uh, all the studies on sleep will say you're more likely to have dementia, you're more likely to have cancer, you know, you're more likely uh, to have chronic illness if you don't have good sleep. So I, I, I fought when I was a young man, lifting weights and Arnold was the, was the you know, the, the star of, of, of bodybuilding and whatnot. And he was a very driven type A personality. He'd say... You know, wake up early, you don't need sleep. And he said, you need sleep? Sleep faster. 
<laughs> Which sounds kind of macho and everything, mm -hmm. but that's terrible advice. Right. You need sleep. You need good sleep. You need deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And anything that'll help you sleep, uh, clearly, it's huge. Is, is, is huge. It's huge. And should not be diminished. Um, so just to go back to bioidentical, obviously, arsenic is natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Red tide is natural. So. Natural doesn't necessarily mean safe. But I think when we're talking about hormone replacement, if there is a bioidentical or something more natural, maybe that's that's something to, to look for. Uh, that's something to you know, if, if there's a you know a synthetic uh, versus natural, I don't think there's anything wrong with aiming for bioidentical hormones. Well, it just it kind of makes sense. And again, back yeah. to Elizabeth Vliet's book from years ago that Trum gave me. It's just like, uh -huh. you know, why wouldn't you put in your body what your body originally made for itself that right. kept us healthy? I mean, right. obviously we have tons of these hormones when we're younger. And that's the other thing is like, if if breast cancer was really caused by estrogen, it would be a young woman's disease. Right, it goes up with age. Yeah. It's more of an aging disease than anything mm -hmm. else. Well, right, and um, all cancers are, uh, everything is, uh, Increased by aging. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so let's say you have a woman in your practice. She's let's say she's in her early mid forties, just not feeling herself, Elizabeth. Tell me, how do you evaluate? What are you looking for in this woman to help her? Try to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, I've I've definitely started listening a whole lot more. Oh, that is golden. Let me say that, folks. <laughs> Your doctor needs time to listen. And with these bloody electronic medical records and administrators breathing down your throat that you have to see so many patients per hour and whatnot, listening is a dying art. And for financial reasons, it's being discouraged. They're trying to push the listening down to the physician extenders and whatnot. But if you find a, a doctor like Dr. Wilson who can make the time to listen to you, that is golden. So I just wanted to put a uh, put a point on that. So you begin by listening, Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, I um, from my functional medicine courses um, that you know one of the caveats is if you listen to a patient long enough, they'll tell you what's wrong with them. Yeah. And sometimes the story, you know, or when was the last time she felt well, or when did this start happening, or like getting more of a timeline can be. I mean, that's something. I mean, functional medicine doctors they take hours with their first visit on a patient and they create a whole timeline to and a lot really... of these doctors you're paying cash right no that's right, right. this is not with... this is not in our traditional health system at all right 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 because people but... have the means and they have the desire to have a real sit down mm -hmm. with a, somebody to get listened it, to it's interesting how so many patients have an idea what might be going on with it. like ah. they have these thoughts in their head and and they've been on google and youtube as well and and sometimes just letting them you know, voice that and, and hearing, you know, the other thing, like I, I didn't used to necessarily think a lot about family history or what other diseases was either in the family or in the patient history and like, but how that all is potentially related. All right. You know, the more I've learned about gut health and when I see patients that oh, are- there's a whole world. Okay, gut health. Right, oh okay. my but, God. You know, it's so if, important. If somebody, you know, has a history of some kind of inflammatory bowel disorder or they've been taking- Antacids forever. You, yes. you think you think oh, there's an issue there, and that's that's the other thing. In in the 40s or the midlife, 
I guess our gut microbiome starts changing as well. Digestion changes. And so that's a whole other piece of this. But so I do right now what I kind of to, so I can keep my office going in a way is I, I, I'll do a bunch of labs and um, I kind of have experienced, I used to hate doing cholesterol panels. Now I just, I need it. I need to see what's happening with their triglycerides and their HDL. I um, like to look at a hemoglobin A1C. I look at a full thyroid panel with thyroid antibodies that can tell you potentially about gluten sensitivity with thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Oh, there are links, huh? And um, did I say in a high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is very, um, it's not very specific, but it just kind of might get the patient's attention to start. It finds that inflammation. It, right. It it can be a market of, or a marker of chronic inflammation. Obviously, if they're sick, maybe it's high, and so maybe you'll want to repeat it. But, but so, so what I've, what I've realized is that you know, as we age, we you know, obviously, when you're 20 or 30, most people you can check a lot of labs, and they're all just perfect. Right. And um, specifically, I guess I was initially thinking of like metabolic syndrome and what what the definitions of metabolic syndrome were. Uh-huh. And and at one of the conferences I was at, I decided I could create this chart and chart oh. patients' labs on it. And whatever, it's like you never have just one thing that's abnormal. You kind of see things start yeah. to get a little abnormal. And it won't necessarily be completely abnormal where a doctor will say, oh, you need to be on a statin for this. Right. But you can start to see either blood sugar going up or if we do fasting labs, I'll check a fasting insulin or a fasting blood sugar. Um, you know, understanding, I, I think understanding triglycerides and the triglyceride to HDL ratio is really important. Right, right. Um, it's not cholesterol is bad. It's it's these it's these these ratios that are telling mm-hmm. you about their metabolism. So so in a way, I you know, I'm I'm just trying to like get her to pay attention to like what's going right. on in her body and like what it could mean. And so I've I have a lot of various sources and I, I probably you know, I try to find what they would like if they like to listen to podcasts, this is fun that we're doing a podcast here, but sure. I usually have a podcast or two that I can recommend. And if I have some lab values that might show something specific to that patient, uh-huh. then they're more interested. You know, then they're going to yeah. kind of start, start learning about it. And they can watch it if they're convenient. Mm-hmm. And th- now that you're mentioning, are there any podcasts uh, or, or doctors or authorities out there with a presence that you can recommend in general? Well, I, I actually have little slips in my office that says yeah. Dr. Wilson recommended podcasts and I'm sure the most famous functional medicine doctor out there is Dr. Mark Hyman. And uh-huh. so I I just I have a list in my office of just several things, whether it's the root cause of thyroid disease or inflammation, or uh-huh. there's just one on female hormones, there's one on menopause. I mean, just yeah, I've got a collection of those. And then um, somebody else I found, uh, Dr. Kelly Casperson is a female urologist. Uh-huh. She basically Who wrote You Are Not Broken. Yes. So this she she um is sort of a sexual medicine guru. She kind of got into, she found herself frustrated at not being able to help people with low desire, low libido. Uh-huh. And so obviously a brilliant woman just went headfirst into the data. And and then she ended up getting um, board certified from the North American Menopause Society. So she talks a lot uh-huh. about hormones and uh-huh. she, it's, um, you know, it's not just hormones. It's not just sex. It's it's a lot of it is just self empowerment and a lot sure. of uh, sure. you know good mindful. I, she's excellent. I, I can't I can't recommend either of them highly enough. But know, so and and listen, we're gonna put some links at the bottom at the end of this. We're gonna have links at the end of this 
and maybe you can show me your uh, your slips and whatnot. Okay. <laughs> we can get those actual links, and we can link sure. them at the at the bottom. Love here. to. Um, but also, I will say that in a lot of my annual exams, when woman's in her 40s, I show her this graph. Right. I just, I, I kind of try to. Yeah, that's me. It's, it's there, like, this, it, this noisy it, waves, it just, random waves is me. And and a lot of it is just acknowledging what mm, sure. somebody may be experiencing. I'm not crazy. You know, yeah, yeah. And just, it's like the more, the more somebody understands about what is happening within their body and within their health, that's just. Because and there's probably a, a million different paths that someone could. Not everybody wants to take hormones or needs to take hormones, right. but like somebody who you know really gets their metabolic health under control. I, I mean, I think it's been shown that those people probably have less symptoms than you know people who who maybe have other issues. So there's there's many different level levers that patients I think can pull with their own health, and it's it's all about kind of empowering, educating. Um, and I, I will, Dr. Casperson, one of the things that she has said in her podcast more than once was patients ask her, like, you know, why doesn't my doctor talk to me about hormones or, you know, right. and she's like, you know, we've got 15 minutes. <laughs> right. She's like, there's. And five of it, them, you got to really, you have to type. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, and. So you have six. So, and she's like, you know, I pretty much, I tell patients, please go buy my book or listen to my podcast and then right. come back and talk to me. Right. And so, so even though it seems cheesy that I send people away with podcasts, oh. at least it like. It's just I could I could stay and talk for another hour or two, but then no, that's it, not going to work. No, these YouTube things are like when my, when a patient calls for an appointment for me. Let's say she wants to get her tubes untied. Mm -hmm. They say, "Well, listen, go to Wilshire's YouTube where he shows and talks about getting I, your yes. tubes untied." I mean, these we only have so much time, and if you can empower your patients with good information, that's that's Huge. fantastic. Yeah. So, getting back to our woman in her mid to late forties, mm -hmm. she's not feeling herself. She's gone to see you. You've had taken the time to listen to her. You've looked at her metabolism. You've maybe tuned up her diet, what have you. You've done, and she's doing what she can. Now she's getting into, now her menses are really spacing out, or maybe they've stopped. And now she says, Dr. Wilson, I, I'm getting hot flashes at night. I can't sleep. Sex is now becoming painful. And you're figuring, oh, now she's in menopause, or she's getting close. What, what is your approach then to, to a woman um, with those symptoms? You know, I, I, I ask them, would you be interested in any information on hormone replacement therapy? Okay. Um, and, and most people are. And I, I've gone through an evolution of various things that I've recommended. Honestly, again, I'm back to Dr. Kelly Casperson. She's had two recent episodes, um, the eight things you must know about hormones and something else. But just, you know, 45 minutes each. Um, to, to, to let them listen. I mean, and some people I think have done enough research on their own. I think there's, there's a lot of information out there that some people are, we can have a conversation about it. I can start somebody on something and see them back in three months to talk more about their concerns. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, I, I, I have a, a list of the, well, the American or the A4M, the American Association of Anti-Aging Medicine came out with some points from the uh -huh. most recent NAM statement about hormone replacement therapy. So I review that with them, which, you know, like just things that are better. Um, they say right. you shouldn't take hormone replacement therapy to prevent diabetes, but it's interesting that women on hormone replacement therapy tend to have less progression to diabetes. And yeah. the idea actually, I, I was gonna say this earlier, but we've been talking about so many things. The idea yeah. that 
transdermal and oral can be very different from a risk profile. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, now we think that it's probably best to start hormone replacement therapy as soon as you can while your cells are healthy or before yeah. your vessels start aging a lot. Before your blood um, vessels have gotten real sick. And right. The, I don't know if you alluded to it, but the other thing that came out of the Women's Health Initiative was the risk of heart attack. I, but that's been, I think we've unwound that a little bit better, and that has to do with the timing of when you take. Yeah, if, you're, if you've taken 10, 20 years for your blood vessels to get very damaged, then you take estrogen, you break off a plaque or something, then you've got a whole blood clot in the vessel that you wouldn't have if you might have started in your late 40s yeah. and stayed healthier. And again, we're looking at the Women's Health Initiative data, which taking oral Premarin, which is probably more thrombogenic, right. um, you know, right. like birth control pills or ethanol estradiol, or, you know, right. the way you take estrogen really makes a difference. I, I wonder, because there, there are, there's, there's good data now to suggest that transdermal estrogen, which, you know, doesn't go through the liver to rev up your clotting right. factors, that, right. that it's either neutral, it may be a little beneficial because you're getting basically anti-inflammatory effects everywhere else. So the, the idea of using transdermal estrogen you know, is really a game changer. It really is. So transdermal, folks, means generally a patch on the skin. It goes from the patch into the skin, into the blood. It's straight to the body without having to go through the liver. And generally, it's estradiol. It's the real thing. It's bioidentical. Mm -hmm. And so let's say a woman here, now she's getting into menopause. She doesn't have any particularly high-risk factors. She's not sitting on... A, pre-cancer of the breast, she hasn't had heart attacks, she's not incredibly overweight or anything like that. Do you have an estrogen or, uh, that you prefer to start? When, by the way, we had mentioned Premarin. Premarin is named from <clears throat> pregnant mares. Pregnant mares, and in fact, if you Pregnant mares urine. Pregnant mares urine, let's yes. say that's where they, they, pregnant mares make tons of these estrogens. <clears throat> and in fact, if you scratch the surface of a Premarin tablet, you can a little bit of horse urine in there. And it's 27 different estrogens in this big uh, cluster of molecules. Not, not putting Premarin down, it, it has its role, but it's certainly a, a soup of hormones that you have to take by mouth, which is very different from, let's say, transdermal, which Conjugated is Conjugated equine estrogen. Yes, 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 that's what they are. Mm -hmm. So so if you were to start, uh, after you look at a woman's, what she desires, now a woman may say, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with the hot flashes, I'm widowed, I'm not sexually active, I never, I'm not interested in that. Um, and it's certainly okay to say, hey, you don't have to take anything. Mm -hmm. Respect their wishes. Of course, we're not here to push anything. But if you're going to start an estrogen, are you telling me that you use transdermal estrogen maybe more often than, than others? Um, I try to let patients know that there's a benefit to that. And, and if someone says, you know, put me on the best thing that you think I should have, I'm at a place now where I do a patch of estradiol and an oral micronized progesterone. And that's all, you know, FDA approved, covered by sure, insurance, which sure. is huge too. That's huge because um, these, these medicines are incredibly expensive and, sometimes. Um, you know, there are some people that just don't like the patches. And, um, and I, I mean, I think it's, it's obviously fine to take it orally because, again, Oral Premarin is fine, um, and especially in a young woman, um, and some people just like that better. But I, I, I try to remind them that if they're going to stay on this a long time, 
you know, as they get older or if they have risk factors, if we think they're at higher risk for a stroke or heart attack or something, I think, you know, moving to a transdermal is potentially the way to go. Right. And now, you can also do compounded creams and that gives you, yes. again, I'm definitely not um, against compounding because I, I think you can really personalize the dose. Um, you know, you can actually add, so there's no, F, I don't think there's any FDA approval of um, estriol E3, the weak estrogen, which right. tends not to cause as much breast tenderness. Right. And so like if somebody has a lot of breast tenderness with estradiol, you can do a combination. Um, biased, I think is what they use, but you can, you can have it compounded however you want. But so, right. and there's one, one expert, Pam Smith, who's written several books on hormone replacement therapy. And, sh and she's a big believer in using the combination of estradiol and yeah. estriol. But I mean, you know, you're, you're getting into compounding, paying out of pocket. And it just like, I'm, I'm working within the conventional medical system with insurance as much as I can. Right. But I like knowing what all these other experts say and do in, right. their, in their little, you know, niche practices, just because I can talk about it with people and potentially offer them things, you right. know. Right. Now, the route that a woman takes estrogen can also be dictated by what her symptoms are. If a woman is having painful intercourse but not having much issues with hot flashes or whatnot, we can put estrogen right on the source. We can put uh, use a vaginal preparation of estrogen. Um, some does get in the blood. People think it just stays right there. No, it is. It is a delivery system that can reach the rest of the body and probably at a high enough dose to at least help bone. People need to realize that estrogen is very good for bone. The biggest problem we've had is it is so expensive. And if it's not in, in formulary, I mean, I th I, I'm hearing hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a tube of vaginal estrogen. Have you tried estrogen. Amazon? Tell, tell me about Amazon. <laughs> but in form, like so, I said, I'm not no. doing this very much anymore. Right, right. Please tell I, me what's going on. I think, um, you know, there are like Mark Cuban's pharmacy, Juniper Pharmacy, there, there are these pharmacies that are kind of going outside the insurance realm and they're able to get drugs and provide them to patients, I think without a middleman for a cheaper amount. And so like, I, I, I'm pretty sure we've used like Amazon farm, I mean, for vaginal estrogen, but really, know, that's good say, to know because it, some women it's so expensive or the copay is right. so high. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. Well, and I, I'm, I'm name dropping Dr. Kelly Casperson over and over again, not hey. to, not to ride her coattails, but she, I mean, that her passion, I think, is like vaginal estrogen. She thinks it should be over the counter. She she's an expert in, 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 in urology. And urology. And so right. I, there's a lot of young urologists that I follow on Twitter that are just, you know, um, singing the praises of vaginal estrogen that, like, right. as women get older and have more urinary tract infection, like, there's, there's potentially disease that it could prevent. Oh. And I, you know, it's really thought to be not systemic like throughout the whole body it's, it's not like taking such, a pill it's it's a very tiny amount that right. you use once or twice a week a minimal amount right. um and and you can you know and, and it's that's a condition now we call it genitourinary syndrome of menopause ah. um a constellation of bladder vaginal symptoms painful intercourse dryness discharge itching irritation um, urinary frequency, frequent uh -huh. urinary tract infections. Uh -huh. um, and it deserves being called a syndrome. And 
and it, it tends to get worse over time. You know, just oh. every decade for for women it can get worse. And mm. and and the other thing about it, there's no time frame. Like you don't have to worry about that ten year window about the heart problem with heart attacks because you're not really using it in that amount. So let's to let's, have let's the explain that. Effects. So if a woman has gone through menopause, mm -hmm. has gone ten years without hormones, or thirty start, years, or thirty, so. <laughs> So she can safely or probably safely start a low-dose vaginal estrogen without worrying about the increased it's, risk of heart attacks that it, yeah, you, you have. You really otherwise. wouldn't even call it hormone replacement therapy. It's ah, just kind of its own lo topical. topical mm -hmm. local treatment. Correct. Fantastic. Now, another thing that I have personally very little experience in is adding back androgen. Androgens, andro means male, and testosterone is the, the poster child of uh, androgens. And we all have testosterone in our bodies to some degree. Like I mentioned, estrogen comes from testosterone in women. Um, what are your thoughts about adding testosterone for women? You've started that they're through the menopause, they're in menopause, they're through menopause. You found a good type of estrogen for their hot flashes, genital urinary symptoms. You found an appropriate progesterone regimen for them to protect the uterus, help them sleep, help mood or whatever that might benefit. But they're still not quite feeling energetic. There's something missing. Do you ever go into the testosterone <clears throat> supplementation world? I definitely I'm there. I'm <laughs> I mean I'm um no, I'm 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 a pelleter. I put testosterone pellets in patients. So I Tell actually me that's an injection. That it's it's a a little implant. Yeah. Oh, it's kind, an kind, implant. Of, kind of like a like a norplant or a nexplanon. So it's a small it's little, a little pellet, tablet, right? And you will inject that under the skin yourself. Right. I but I, it's I don't go around just saying everybody needs it at all. I, no, no, no. I, I wonder where do you use it? How do you use it? Where do you I, use it? When is it indicated? Okay. So um this would take me to another expert who I think she's just amazing. Her name is Rebecca Glazer. She's actually a breast cancer surgeon. Ah. And um, she has written a lot on androgen insufficiency syndrome in women. Ah. And there's actually a great article in the publication Androgens. Like she's written a lot and I think it was 2020 or 2021. Um, and so she she makes a case that you know, if you if you think about men and and the benefits that men have from muscle and bone and right. maybe, maybe confidence and mood, you know, sure. just things sure. um, that that there are some women that when they have more testosterone, they just feel better. Right now, my my experts from the Institute of Functional Medicine and from A four M, they really believe that testosterone is just part of that trio: estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. I mean, and if you look right. at you know, the, the graphs of what women have um, in their body, 20s and 30s, they literally have more testosterone than they do estrogen. Sure. If you just, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it drops over time. So, um, uh, you know, they believe that just the cells on a metabolic level, metabolic function, like, like potentially there are some benefits from probably bone and muscle especially. Right. But I don't know that it, in those smaller doses that they use, and again, back to Pam Smith, like she's a real believer in the salivary testing to make sure these are all balanced in your cells. Right. When I check blood work, I'm just looking 
at what's in the blood. I'm not really testing what's in right. your cells. Um, but but Dr. Glazer feels like you really shouldn't worry about the levels. You should worry about how somebody feels. Right. I, I do feel like the experts at A4M and IFM are, um, they would, if someone's tired, they probably think there's something else going on. Like you need to sleep more. You need to get your stress under control. <laughs> you right. need, um, you know, to. But if you've done that and you're still not feeling. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I'll. Correct. And that's where right. the people who believe in androgen insufficiency syndrome come in. Because, okay. and, and again, I said, it's good to listen to patients. Right. So when I went to my pellet conference in Dallas, so we had a little clinic here in town called Avexius for a while. Right. And, and the, the laws in Missouri were different from Texas. And they were kind of having a hard time, I think, getting affiliated with a physician to run their clinic. And, and somebody mentioned my name. And I was like, I, you know, I'd maybe be interested, but I kind of better check it out first. And so right. they allowed me to fly down there and they were having like a training course over the weekend. And, um, you know, it was the patient testimonials that really got me is the, mm. the, and, and even there were, you know, there was somebody who stood up and a lot of these people work for the company, but, um, a gal who was like, you know, after my second child, I was just. I was tired. I was depressed. I just, you know, my libido was down. And, and, it's, called, it's called dragging ass. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, throughout my career, that's right. kind of like, well, yeah, you're a working mom. You're tired. And, you know, you want an antidepressant. And that that's sure. sort of our answer all the time. And, right. you know, this, this woman was telling her story and just really coming to tears how grateful she was that when she thought it was her hormones, somebody was willing to give her the hormones that she, which in this case, it was a, a testosterone pellet. And, and she just felt like it was the answer to her prayers. Yeah. And, um, and so, and then again, then the, the next day we had a, a, a clinic where we were learning to put the pellets in uh -huh. and this, um, the company in Dallas, I think they offered their patients like half price if they're willing to be like a guinea pig for right, this right, clinic, right, right. you know? And so, but so, so these were obviously enthusiastic patients, but you know, everybody that came in just, I was just like I, I don't I don't think this could all be placebo. Right, you know, right, but right. what the, the people that are saying that it's changed their changed their lives or you know, so it I I kind of bought into it and I'm like, you know, there probably are some people who this is really good for. So you're not gonna give this pellet to, to everybody, but you've screened them for other health problems, you've optimized other things. You say there is still something lacking. Can you give it how often does, does one take a pellet? You know, they're, they're supposed to last about three to five months. Oh, long time. Mm -hmm. Long time. And do you measure testosterone levels in the blood or you just see, ask them how they're feeling? Um, we do. We do it a, about a month after to kind of gauge where they're at and okay. then yearly. Um, and it, you know, it's hard because I think patients also really, really focus on the level. What's my number? What's my number? Right. What's my number? Right. And in, in my mind... You know, I, I kind of now think of it as, you know, well, if we're talking about menopause, you know, when you have no hormones, obviously having some hormones is better than no hormones. Right. And, and when it comes to testosterone, I think there's like a basic way of replacing it with the maybe creams and not quite as high. And then the testosterone pellets, we're, we're actually um, looking at higher, higher levels, say, than right. you would see. Um, that a woman would ever have on her own. I usually tell patients, like if a if a woman is normally five to fifty, okay. and a healthy man, 
I was saying 500 to 900, but I guess 300 to 900. 300 is to 900 is pretty good. Yeah. So, um, but you know, we're looking at women around 200, 250, sometimes right. even 300. Right. Um, and you know, and and I will say, I do think that, you know, and that, that's another. Okay, Kelly Casperson hates pellets. She thinks they're pellet <laughs> mills. She thinks it's terrible. She thinks people are trying to take your money. And and I do think that some of the clinics don't explain to patients what exactly we're doing with the dosing. Like, I, I don't think patients always know, like, they just think, oh, I had none, and now I have what I need. But it's like, you know, you're actually way more than you've ever been before. Right, right. And, and this is kind of like a, a tweak or a, or a hack or, and I, I make yeah, yeah. it really clear to patients that that's what we're doing. And I probably, when pa patients come in, they probably think I'm trying to talk them out of it the first time. Cause I just, right. and I tell them to listen to Dr. Casperson. This lady hates right. pellets. Listen to what she says about it. But, um, so I just, I, I, again, I try to just put all the information out there so that people can really kind of find their own way and, and see maybe what they need. And do these women have much hair growth or acne or oil or skin symptoms? I'd say probably acne is the biggest problem. And, you know, uh, sometimes lowering the dose, boronolactone is, you know, a common medication for acne in general, and it works pretty well with the testosterone pellets. Okay. Um, you know, you, you might worry a little bit about male pattern baldness. Mm -hmm. I'd say it, I was able to communicate, I, I emailed with, um, uh, Rebecca Glazer, the woman that I talked to, she's in Dayton, Ohio, the breast cancer surgeon who does the testosterone pellets. And huh? actually she uses the testosterone pellets for a lot of her patients that have had breast cancer that can't use estrogen. Right. Thinking the higher doses of testosterone. I mean, there's a little bit of conversion, obviously, to estrogen. Yeah, yeah you're um, not giving estrogen, but you're giving estrogen. Uh -huh. um, but, but she said in her experience, she doesn't see a lot of problems with hair loss, that it's, it's mostly... Acne. And she yeah. actually has pellets that um, I think some of them she has them made with spironolactone, and she also has ah. some made with um, I think the aromatase inhibitors. So Interesting. That, so that compound. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, so and that is, would be. That's why I'm so glad you're here. Tech, with, I don't so, know anything about that cutting edge uh, formulation. Well, and and she has a website. I mean, she doesn't do podcast. I mean, she's she's very clinical, and and I'd really love to go visit her sometime. But uh -huh. um, she had the article in Androgens that I mentioned. It just testosterone pellet therapy in women, and um, and I, I think her whole community, the oncologists there, like everybody's on board with her, and she has some really happy patients. That's fascinating. Now, I I, I had a personal experience with a woman who came to me. She was very athletic, wasn't feeling herself. Did some hormone tests. They say, hey, your testosterone's in the normal range for a menopausal woman. And she still wasn't feeling good. Now, I, because I don't have training in, I don't know how to monitor testosterone pellets. I, I have no experience with it. She went elsewhere, got a testosterone pellet, got her, estrogen, her testosterone from like 40 to 200. Now she feels wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so glad she she does, you know. And I I, I just I don't know whether to say that's it has long term side effects and problems that are going to out outweigh her current well being. But if she feels better right now, I mean that's got to be valuable. Well, I my the where I've sat with this is that I think you know when women are 
creating babies and growing babies and feeding babies and you know mm. you, your estrogen and progesterone have to do their thing they have to cycle you have to ovulate you have to you know having right. too much testosterone while you're trying to care for your young probably isn't a good idea and obviously you don't want to get pregnant while you have a testosterone right. pellet in that's bad so sure you know birth control is kind of a big thing if someone's doing that at a younger age that's but, an important point but i mean if if men can have that right i mean and they do fine and uh, another uh, dr glazer from dayton she says you know i mean Testosterone doesn't make you bleed. Testosterone doesn't make your breasts hurt. Right. Like it, it, it's not bothering those female organs that we have to deal with and that we have to put up with all the ups and downs so we can do this right. wonderful thing of bringing children into the world. But like right. when you're done bringing children into the world, why not maybe have a little bit sure. more? And, and I guess there is data on, you know, um, people who transition, who take testosterone. Yes. And to my knowledge, you know, there's no problems with that physiologically or that there's no increased risk of cancer oh, or okay. problems. And, right. and you know, I think in general, society supports people that want to do that to feel better, right. you know. So it, 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 another thing, again, I said like sleep. And even if like, if, if you're happier, if your relationship is better, again, if I, so there's a, a podcast that Dr., um, Hyman does with Kara Fitzgerald on methylation. Okay. Getting into a whole other gear here, but uh -huh. uh, you know they they talked about how cuddling improves your methylation, and so methylation is in this case is referring to pretty much how your DNA is transcribed. Like we were talking about cancer, that everybody has genes for cancer, but like it comes at a certain age. Why does it come at age fifty instead of mm. age five? Right. Um, and and so one of the things that people study is like biological age through DNA and the methyl groups that are on the DNA. And, um, and the idea that like cuddling improves your methylation or you your- You can actually measure that. Yes, yeah. Now, so me like- Methylation so, and methyl groups stick on DNA and can turn it off in, in, in myriad different patterns and ways. Correct. Regularly. And so it, you know, it's when, again, listening to patients or these patients that do come back that, mm. that are on the testosterone therapy, when they say, I, you know, this has just changed my life. My family has noticed it. My relationship is better. Sure. Like if, if someone's relationship with their family or their husband like gets to a really good place and they're, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of physiological benefits <laughs> that, I mean, uh. we don't necessarily, I mean, Kara Fitzgerald can measure it in biological age and methylation, but like right. there's just a lot of, a, a lot out there that patients know about themselves, that it's good for them. Yeah, so I'm not an expert on long-term uh, safety issues, but but the, the certainly the benefits in the in the right people. Um, I mean, if you ask uh, high school athletes or college athletes taking testosterone and whatnot, say you know this is going to take ten years off your life, but you're going to be a superstar on the field. Most people say I'd rather I'll take the superstar and I'll, I'll take the loss at the end. So you I mean, whether that's a uh, the best thing to do, I don't know, but certainly have to weigh risks and benefits. And if there's huge benefits up front for at least some women, I guess it's hard to argue with. Well, and, you know, again, bringing back to Dr. Krumbauer, you know, every now and then I get to see some of his patients that have stayed on his hormonal cocktails. Yes, I still see and, some. And um, I, I, the ones on hormones, the ones on testosterone, 
are doing, I mean, some of the best bone density scores I see are on these women that have been taking testosterone yes. for a long time. And, I, you know, again, that we don't talk a lot about muscle health. Yes, right? but the stronger you are, less likely you are to fall and get that hip fracture, for example, that and, wrist fracture. And the better you are probably metabolically aging as far as, you know, maintaining your blood sugar levels and lowering inflammation, like having more muscle tissue. Having more muscle, it's active. Is, is um, you know, and there's uh, Gabby Lyons, you know who she is? She's a muscle-centric. Okay. She has a podcast too. Um, you know, she, she just talks about the, the key to aging. Well, and I guess it's probably if you get up to 80 and 90. It's like uh -huh. you, you want to maintain your muscle. You want to maintain your Absolutely. bone. You, so... I, my my hunch is that it overall is going to be healthy. I hear you. So. I hear you. Now, being a, a fertility doctor, I, I just want to take go off on a little tangent here. There are so many doctors that tell men, yeah, you know, the men comes in, hey, my testosterone is on. You were talking about the the counseling you should give these patients before they take a hormone. I see this all the time. Men are not counseled, or their doctors don't even know. If you give testosterone or testosterone derivatives to a young man, it will crash his sperm. It is a contraceptive. So, yeah, your testosterone is low. Let's give you some. It will crash your fertility. So, I just wanted to throw that in there in case guys are listening. Say, hey, maybe I should take more testosterone too. Don't do it if you want to have babies, right. guys. Fertility is huge. Fertility is yeah. huge. That's obviously my world. So, I just mm -hmm. wanted to uh, throw that out there. Yes. Um, are there any other ways to take hormones? Now, estrogen can be is given by patches. You get good doses. And the new patches, really, they're not so new anymore. They really stick really well, don't they? But they can still peel off. And you sweat too much. It's hard to get. Do you have much experience with creams or gels for yeah. transdermal estrogen? So um, I, I, there are some gels that are FDA-approved, um, although... I talk a lot with the compounding experts at Kilgore's, and that's know, a local pharmacy yeah. that works with us. Yes, and I think there there tends to be more irritation with gels, and you can't uh, quite get as much, so you need more of it. Okay. Um, you know the the yeah, I and unfortunately inheriting a lot of Dr. Trumbauer's patients, but um, you know trying to fine tune the estrogen again, like someone having breast tenderness, if I want to use that other estrogen, what we call E3 or estriol for less mm -hmm. breast tenderness. That's a real easy thing to try and use the creams for. And then again, there are some women that maybe want to take testosterone, but they don't want to do a pellet. And, uh -huh. and then you can do, then you would do a cream. And they um, can compound some testosterone in there mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Kilgore's is just amazing and out of this world. I, um, they make a cream for me that I used to practice at the Family Health Center, uh -huh. um, and, and I wanted to get some Mycolog cream for somebody. That was like an antifungal and a steroid cream. And right. that was that used to be like my fix-everything cream. If I didn't know what was going on, I mean, it, it wasn't yeast, it wasn't BB, or there wasn't something that, that I could diagnose. Rub this but on. Just Tussin. if someone's having irritation, <laughs> like this was my, my go-to. Uh -huh. um, but it was, it was kind of expensive. And so, and, and, and I, with the Family Health Center, Kilgore's would really work with the Family Health Center to have certain medications available at lower cost. I mean, it was like they just were this caring pharmacy that was like helping the community. And so I right. called to say, do you think you could like make up a similar cream 
with an antifungal and a steroid and and then I said, hey, and can you add some estrogen? <laughs> I love and it. Like, and I so love it. that became my new, like, and, and you know, so anyway, I, they're, if you have an idea or like, they, they really can work with, you know, a, more of an approach to individualized medicine. And then I was, yeah. they also made a, um, a uh, probiotic cream for me wow. where um, one of the, Functional Medicine Podcast was talking about recurrent urinary tract infections. And, uh, and one of the tricks that they were to try to break the cycle of like always using antibiotics, they right. suggested using a probiotic cream like around the urethra to kind of flood the urethra with lactobacilli. Ah, the healthy bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I called Anne at Concourse. I'm like, uh, hey, have you heard of this? Can you do this? And um, so they're, I just, they're like magicians. So, and I, I, I think, you know, again, I know there's a lot of negative uh, talk about compounding pharmacies, but but when you really want to individualize something for somebody, they, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. So there's different ways to take these various hormones. It is a complex minefield. You need a doctor who has experience, who can give these things to you safely and whatnot. And certainly someone who has active experience. Um, for this, I'm very grateful to have you here in the community, Elizabeth. Like I said, my uh, my nurses and friends use you as their personal doctor, and uh, your reputation here is just wonderful. So I want to ask you: Will you please come back sometime? I'd love so to. So we can talk about these other functional medicine issues, aging, anti-inflammatory issues, metabolic issues. Maybe we can drill down into. Fusion around cholesterol and inflammation. I would love to chat further with you. I would love that too. I just even you know the the you know at some point I realized that menopause was kind of like polycystic ovarian syndrome, like the similarities yeah, there are of some. insulin resistance and right. um, and I'll say I, I, way back in the day I, I remember just being so impressed. Patients who would go to you and start on the Dr. Wilshire diet <laughs> that I, would come. That I stole I mean, from Atkins with, and gave I mean, people. <laughs> like, I mean, it was amazing. People would get pregnant just based on what they were yeah. eating. I, and I love that. Those are my greatest I, success stories. It's like all these things. It's like it's just been it's just been building. Um, oh, and you brought Gary Todd's to talk to. Oh, okay, I brought Gary to who, town. Like, He's still a friend of mine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll so, hopefully have him on the podcast right. eventually as well. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going to be developing a a a video link so I don't have to fly everyone in uh, okay. for to interview here. But we'll we'll be branching out and, and talking about with all these wonderful people out there. So Elizabeth, thank you again for your time. I've I've learned a lot from you, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the Dr. Gill show. Thank you. I've learned a lot from you too.